Uh, if you need a Bible, I'm going to read from, um, I'll tell you where we're at. Uh, we're in John 15. We've been doing a mini-series in John chapter 15. Thanks so much, Mary Beth. Uh, we're doing three, we've done three sermons in John 15. This is the third of three. And these are, this section of John's Gospel is the bit where uh, Jesus is about to go to his trial and his death. And the night before, he's having a meal with his disciples, his friends, and he's sharing with them the, the things he wants to say, what he wants to say to his disciples then, and what he really wants to say to his disciples now. These are the things on Jesus' heart. I want to share these things with you. John 15. In fact, it's a whole series of four chapters, this, but um, we're, we're dipping into John 15 at the beginning of this new year and having a look at these words. And maybe... Um, Maybe just ask, you might be here thinking, I wonder how seriously to take Jesus. That might be a question in your mind. Just how seriously do I want to take Jesus in my life? Well, here's a great opportunity to listen to his words and think about the things that he has to say. Let's read together. Um, John 15, it'll come up on the screen as well. I think it's 1,000 and something. Anyone got a page number? Page number, bingo. Who's going to win? Oh, Trev, right out of the blocks. 1083, John chapter 15. And we're going to go from verse 18. It starts on a cheery note. It doesn't get much better. If the world hates you, this is, these are the words of Jesus to his disciples. If the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. If you belong to the world, it would love you as its own. As it is, you do not belong to the world, but I have chosen you out of the world. That is why the world hates you. Remember what I told you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you also. If they obeyed my teaching, they will obey yours also. They will treat you this way because of my name. They will treat you this way because of my name, for they do not know the one who sent me. If I had not come and spoken to them, they would not be guilty of sin. But now they have no excuse for their sin. Whoever hates me hates my father as well. If I had not done among them the works no one else did, they would not be guilty of sin. As it is, they have seen, and yet they have hated both me and my father. But this is to fulfill what is written in their law. They hated me without reason. When the Advocate comes, whom I shall send to you from the Father, the Spirit of Truth, who goes out from the Father, he will testify about me, and you also must testify, for you have been with me from the beginning. All this I have told you, so that you will not fall away. They will put you out of the synagogue. In fact, the time is coming when anyone who kills you will think they are offering a service to God. They will do such things because they have not known the Father or me. I have told you this so that when their time comes, you will remember that I warned you about them. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Okay. Little summary. If you haven't been with us the last two weeks, here's a little summary of all the things that Jesus has told us so far. The intimacies that we have with the Lord. This is what he said. He said, verse 3, this is chapter 15, verse 3, you are clean. You are clean because of the word I've spoken to. He said that to his disciples. By that he means spiritually clean. As the Father has loved me, this is what Jesus said, as, as the love that I've received from the Father, I've loved you in the same way. 
I am channeling that same love right on through to you. You will know that kind of love. Verse 9. My joy, he says, my joy will be in you and your joy will be complete. It's the promise of Jesus to his disciples. He calls them friends in verse 15. He said, it's not a servant master thing. You're friends. And he says, I've chosen and appointed you. I've chosen you. I've appointed you to the task of, verse 16, bearing fruit, loving one another. And as we go about doing that, Jesus held out that promise to us. He says, you go about loving one another, ask my Father for anything, and he will help. As you go about that project of loving one another, ask for anything. Right, so here's a, there's so many blessings. There's so much intimacy here with the Lord. But now he wants us to hear another thing. And he really does. Because I want you to notice what he says. He says, verse 18, he says, Keep this in mind. Verse 20. Um, remember what I told you. And right at the end of the reading, verse 16, uh, sorry, chapter 16, verse 4, he says, Remember that I warned you about this. Right, remember. I warned you. I've told you this. Keep it in mind. What is it? What is it? He says, the world might hate you. The world might persecute you. And the world might kill you. It's fun, isn't it? <laughs> it's fun for a Sunday morning. <laughs> yeah. It's good. Actually, you know, one of the things I quite... I. I I appreciate about going through a chapter like this and not skipping parts of the Bible is it brings these things up. Brings these, we're going to look at all the words of Jesus, not just the nice ones. It brings these things up. The Christian life, though we have those intimacies with God, that same life may well involve rejection, hatred, persecution, even death. Jesus is not a very good salesman. Really? Is he? He's not good at the old bait and switch. He's not sort of loaded it up front and said, oh, it's going to be great. Disciples, you're going to have a wonderful time. And then later on down the line, they'll discover something they didn't, they didn't realize. No, he's, he's telling them everything. He's telling us everything too. Jesus says you may be hated. And you know what? Let's just stop and just say, right, some of us here, I'm sure it will be the case that some of us are feeling this. It could be a family member, it could be a colleague at work, and you're right now experiencing some of this. So let's just drill into this and have a think about it. And I've got three headings, here's my three headings. Okay, we're gonna face rejection, we're just gonna linger on that point for a while longer. Why? Right, so the second thing I wanna say is, why? It's all here, it's all here in the text. Why are we gonna face hatred, persecution? It sounds really weird, why? And then thirdly, how? How are we going to face these things when they come? How are we going to do it? Okay, so those are the three headings. So firstly, we are going to face it. Jesus expects his disciples, his own, he calls them, chapter 13, verse 1, my own. Isn't it lovely? He expects his own to face hatred and persecution. Let me read you from elsewhere in the Gospels. You'll be familiar with this, the Beatitudes. Sermon on the Mount. The most famous sermon, the most famous talk ever delivered in the history of the planet. Jesus said, Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, 
and say all kinds of false things about you because of me. When? Jesus says, when they do that, blessed are you. He said, blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness. Or Luke has it, for the sake of the Son of Man, for yours is the kingdom of heaven. It's going to happen. Jesus says, when? That's why he wants us to keep this in mind. He's telling his disciples, keep it in mind, remember it. I've warned you about this, remember what I'm saying to you. Now, that is not to say, let me say this right up front, because I don't know what is whizzing around your mind right now. It's not to say that Jesus expects every Christian in every generation in every part of the world to be thrown to the lions. Or to be chased out of their houses or have their finances taken away from them or whatever else. Of course, that is happening. Um, I was looking at Open Doors. You might be familiar with Open Doors. It's a website that kind of charts the persecuted church around the world, and they've now listed Afghanistan as the number one place in the world to be persecuted as a Christian. You cannot talk about your faith openly there, especially if you're a convert. If you're a convert to Christianity in Afghanistan, you will be disowned at the very least. They're putting people in psychiatric hospitals there for becoming Christians, and of course, uh, there are honor killings as well in places like that. Now, of course, Jesus has warned us of that. He said, people will kill you and think they're offering a service to God. He's warned us of that. But it won't happen everywhere. But, nevertheless, he does expect the world, that is, everyone who's not naming Jesus as Lord, the world like that, he does expect the world to offer the same basic reaction to the church, which is, you don't belong. You're different. You don't belong here. You're not one of us. He expects that same basic reaction. Now, the intensity and the ways we might experience that may not be physical torture or imprisonments and things like that, but it can be equally chilling. A cold shoulder. Emotional blackmail. People just uh, not including you. Saying things about you, perhaps. Those things can be really severe too. Let's not knock it. I know we're not living in Afghanistan. But those things can be very hard, especially when they're coming from a loved one. Or when you're living with it every day in work because you're just not treated the same. It is hard. And Jesus says it will happen. And it may be happening for some of you and it may be happening now. So it will happen. Jesus has said that it's going to happen. Right? That's point one. Point two. Why? Why? Because I don't know if you think you might... I went through this thought process this week. I thought to myself, okay, Christians are supposed to be the most generous, loving, self-sacrificial, forgiving, warm-hearted, welcoming people because we've received all those things from the Lord. That should make us those things. How could anyone... What, how is that ever going to be a problem? 
why is that ever going to be a problem for the world out there? Wouldn't they just look at that and say, oh, that's always... Christians are so lovely. They're just so kind. They do so much of this and that and the other. Why would they hate you? <laughs> why? Jesus says, verse 19, here it comes. He says, if you belong to the world, it's that word again. If you belonged to the world, it would love you as its own. This is verse 19. As it is, you do not belong to the world, but I have chosen you out of the world. And that is why the world hates you. See, fundamentally, when someone becomes a Christian, here's a picture. We're laying down our weapons and our defenses, aren't we, at the foot of the cross. And we're transferring our allegiance to the God who died for me. No longer in opposition. I'm no longer in opposition in my heart of hearts or indifferent or anything else to this God. Because his love has melted my heart and changed me from the inside, I am laying down my weapons and my indifference and my crown, self-sovereignty. And I do say, don't we, I belong to Jesus now. Now, that's a big deal. Right, isn't it? That's a big deal. It's not, it's not adding a bit of spirituality to my life because I just want to be better centered. I want to have a better sort of frame of mind. I want to have some better perspective on the world. So I'm just going to sprinkle in a bit of spirituality because, you know, it's good, for my, it's good for my mental health. It's not that. Right, if it was that, the world would have no problem with that. Like, the world would be like, yeah, I get that. You do you. That is, a, I so, you know, that's fine. You might say, look, I'm bringing my family to church because you know, I, want, I want my children to grow up with some healthy attitudes, whatever. The world will have no problem with that. That's fine. Cool. But becoming a Christian is deeper. It is deeper than that. It's tapping into the register of the soul. It's going deep. It's in the vaults our inner being it's saying i am no longer an enthusiastic foot soldier marching against the lord i now belong to the lord and jesus words and his ways are now the bedrock of my life and every decision i make every thought i have everything i'm going to do are going to be built on the bedrock of jesus words and jesus ways it is a fundamental, it is really deep down. It's not a veneer. It's not a bit of spirituality on a Sunday morning. It is deep right at the base of the soul. Now, you see, if that is the kind, if, if we're talking and we're living like that, and people start to see that, they'll go, oh, yeah, yeah, no, that's not me. No, yeah, I, okay, fine. No, yeah, then you don't belong. No, that's not that's not who I am. If that's you, then no. Because you see, every human heart, every human heart is naturally turned against this. Let me, let me tell you a story, and I've got a visual illustration. You ready for this? It's a pear. Look at that. Hopefully, someone asks you later, what was that guy talking about at the front? <laughs> you might remember, well, he held up a pear. Why am I holding up a pear? 
Uh, good story. I can't remember whether I've told this one before, but it's a, it's a good one. It's a true one. True story. A guy called Augustine, a bishop of the 4th century. He, um, when he was a teenager, he went with his mates and he decided to nick some pears. <laughs> Scandal. <laughs> he went and he nicked some pears from a pear tree that he was not allowed to nick from. And uh, later on in life, he kind of had a bit of a crisis about this. <laughs> he must have lived a very comfortable life. Um, he had a bit of a crisis about his pear-stealing antics. And he thought to himself, um, why did I steal the pear? Because he said, to, he said to himself, well, I wasn't poor. I can afford pears. It came from a family that can afford pears. Uh, he said to himself, I wasn't hungry. We weren't hungry for pears. And yet, I stole a pear. And then he went, he went even further. He's like, I don't even like pears. <laughs> I don't even like pears, but there was something about the fact that it was forbidden. It was something that said to him, or he said to himself, no one is going to tell me what to do. And Augustine put his finger, a very famous story, put his finger on something in every human heart there, didn't he? That reaction. You touch it sometimes. Very tender idol, this. When you get down into it, touch it's like, <gasps> no. No one tells me what to do. Not you, not God. No one owns me. No one owns me. No one tells me. I don't belong to anyone. Now, if we testify, it's what it says at the end of the passage that I just read out. If we testify to this Jesus and we say, no, he owns me. <laughs> I'm his. Not only that, I love him. And I've laid down my crown before him. And his name is the only route out of that problem. His name is the only way out. He's the way out of that human condition, that heart throb, which says, no one tells me what to do. If we, if we speak like that, if we touch on those things that Augustine talked about with his pears yeah then you feel like you it feels like sometimes I don't know if you've had conversations with people it almost feels like you're um, you're talking about a secret addiction that they've got or something when you when you talk about really really like a faith in Christ that is really getting to the soul and the heart of the matter people you feel like you're talking about something deeply secret or problematic or something. You don't, we don't talk about that. That's why people often say, like, I don't want to talk about that stuff. Because it's going right in. And when you do, and when you go there, and when you have those conversations in love, and you, you sort of, you want to open that thing up. No. No thanks. Now you get that. You do get that. And Jesus is... Jesus is saying, you will get that. I'm warning you, it's coming. You do not belong to the world, Jesus says, and that is why the world will do this. 
Okay, so finally, my third point, what to do? What are we going to do? <laughs> what are we going to do then with this? Jesus has said it. We're going to feel it. All right, what do we do? Um, three little subheadings here. I promise you they're very short. Don't enjoy it. Sounds weird. Don't enjoy it. Don't avoid it. Don't be surprised by it. And then we'll finish. Don't enjoy it. <laughs> don't, don't avoid it. Don't be surprised by it. Firstly, don't enjoy it. Um, sounds like a strange thing to say. There is a, there is a certain kind of Christian. I wonder, I wonder if you've met one of these. Who kind of enjoys being persecuted. Quite likes the persecution complex. Every now and again on my um, social media, I'll see a video come up of um, usually a street preacher or something, and they're getting arrested by the police, or they're being told to move on, or whatever like this. They're being arrested and told, get in the back of a police van or something like that. And of course, the oh, you know, they hate the gospel. They hate that. They hate that I'm, you know, preaching the truth out here. It could be. It could be that you're just being very annoying and disturbing the peace like the police say you are. It could be that actually you're being very abrasive, very arrogant, very rude. Now, I'm not just talking about that particular scenario, but you know what I mean? But, but we'll hide behind Jesus and say, oh, you know, I'm getting persecuted for my faith. And by the way, you know what? Um, if you can show this in this day and age, if you can show that you're part of a minority group that's being persecuted, you get the moral high ground. Notice that? If you can demonstrate that you're in a 2%, which is roughly what we are as Christians now in the, in the UK, professing Christians, if you're in that too, well, we're in the minority and we're getting persecuted and we're getting, you know, this, that, and the other. Therefore, we've un, we understand suffering like you don't and we can take the moral high ground like that. There's a kind of a, I'm going to enjoy this. I'm going to use this. Jesus is not into that. He's like persecuted for righteousness sake. Don't bring my name into it if you're being an idiot. And in fact, sometimes, um, even when people accuse us of stuff, they, they might be 90%, you know, persecuting the gospel, right? And 10% is there's something about the way I'm doing it which is just unhelpful. Right, let's not go to the 90% and saying a bit, let's go to the 10% and confess it and say, you're right about that. Maybe, maybe I said it in a way that just wasn't generous. Or maybe I did something and in a way that just wasn't tender-hearted, soft, uh, appreciating where you're coming from. Let's go to the 10% because we're people of the light. People that, we want that light to come in. We're not going to stop that and say, no, no, you persecute, you know, it's because of Jesus. No, let's let the light in. We want that light to shine. Let's not enjoy it, right? But let's not avoid it, right, when it comes. When, when the difficult times come, let's not avoid it. Jesus didn't. He said, a servant's not greater than his master. They persecuted me. They will persecute you also. And, and just as Jesus shows us what it's like to be persecuted, show, so he also shows us how to deal with it. He doesn't glory in it. He doesn't glory and throw his hands out and go, oh no, look at me, look at me. Neither does he avoid it. He continued to speak the truth, to testify. He continued to do the work of God. Even with the Pharisees. Can I make this point? 
Right, of course, when Jesus is, you know, all those stories we know and love about Jesus approaching the most broken and difficult people, right? Woman caught in adultery or, you know, the servant that, um, dealing with the centurion or whatever it is who need, who are, you know, obviously Jesus is tender and loving to those people who are receiving him. They're receiving him and they're receiving his help. But can I point out to you as well, it's nice just to read through the Gospels and notice how much time Jesus is spending with the Pharisees, with the people who hate him. He's always with them. He spends time with them. They're the ones with power, by the way. They're the ones who are sorted. They're the ones who are educated. They're the religious elite. They're the ones who are coming for him. And Jesus goes there as well, and he goes to their houses as well. Just read Luke's gospel. He is in Pharisees' houses all the time. He doesn't avoid them. Yes, he goes to the needy and the poor and the downtrodden and the marginalized, but he also goes to the sorted, to the rich, to the well-educated, because those people are the ones that are hating him. powerful isn't it the big danger for us as christians is that we'll retreat from that we'll retreat from that we'll go it's safer just for me to hang out in my church that is wonderful isn't it it's wonderful that this is going to be a safe place it is going to be a safe haven for us in the church family in our bible study groups whatever we're doing midweek that is going to be a safe place for me praise the lord so that so that I can face it when it comes. I can go out and meet it and not shrink back from it. And not just retreat to those things. You can do lots of Christian stuff without actually ever coming up against this if you want. Jesus went to both those who were receiving him, you know, the marginalized, the poor, etc., etc., and those who were actively rejecting him. He loved them both. Oh, just to say, the other way we can just kind of retreat, I did put it in my notes here, was to just, you can do this on Twitter. <laughs> I won't deal with real people. I'll just deal with people on social media because they're actually a million miles away. They're in America or somewhere else in the world. It's a big distance. I'll testify to Jesus there <laughs> because I don't even know these people. All right. Yeah, we can retreat there, we can do lots of Jesus, this, that, and the other. These people are miles away, they're not in your life. All right, we can retreat there too. We're called to testify. That's it, verse 27, isn't it? He says, testify about me. You must testify about me, for you have been with me since the beginning. And so we're not surprised. We're not surprised. Jesus has told us many times over in the Gospels, we will, we will see this rejection. We see it in the lives of the early church, the works of the apostles, read through Acts. This has happened, this happens immediately. As soon as Jesus goes, it starts happening to the apostles and it starts happening to the life of the church all the way down through the centuries and it's not stopped. No one can accuse Jesus of the old bait and switch. He's told us up front. Now, finally, here's just a little bit. Let's just get our eyes on Jesus here because... Church, we're not mucking around, are we? This is not mucking around. I don't want this to be sort of like, we just come, we do nice stuff. It's, it's great here, isn't it? I love it here. It's community here. We're serving each other. We're, we're having coffee together. But I want this to be fuel. 
I want these talks on a Sunday morning to be fuel for the tank. I, I get it. I see Jesus. I see what he's saying. And I can live for him now. All right. Jesus made himself nothing. This is Philippians 2. I'm closing on this. He emptied himself in another version. In the KJV, he made himself of no reputation. He took the very nature of a servant and died at the hands of those who hated him without cause. And you know, when the disciples looked at that, when the disciples looked at Jesus there, dying for those, and actually saying, forgive them, Father, they don't know what they're doing. These are the people who are hating him. That is the kind of love that melts hearts. It melted my heart. It melts hearts. And when the disciples saw it, of course, the disciples would legged it when Jesus was actually on the cross. Even they were like, oh, it is so shameful that he is being strung up on a cross. Our leader is being crucified by the Romans. It's so shameful. Every last one of them legs it. And then after the fact, they reflect on it and go, that, that suffering and shame, that bearing those insults and that false testimony against him, all of that was achieving for us something so powerful that it melts hearts. It enables me to lay down my weapons, my defenses, and say, I'm yours. That is how Jesus operated in the world for us. Disciples look to that and go, oh, that's how we do it. We can do likewise and similarly minister that kind of love and self-sacrifice so that other hearts will see and know this is the God who loves them. Jesus says, if they listen to me, they will listen to you too. If they saw what I did and they responded, they will respond to you too. So testify about me. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we're grateful, we're so grateful that what you lay out for us in these words of yours is truth. It is helpful, it is so eye-opening, it reveals things in us, it reveals things in our world which um, enable us, equip us, ready us to live for you. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your word. It is a light it is wisdom for our ways. It is truth. It's a healing balm. It helps us to see. Father, we thank you for it. We thank you for each other. We thank you for this time together. And we pray as we worship you now and just close off this service. Deal with us, Lord, and help us to offer our prayers to you in sincerity as we uh, just reflect and think. Uh, more about what you've said to us this morning, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.